Second Timothy 3, verse 10 through chapter 4, verse 8. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with these sacred writings, which are able to make wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped, complete for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort, and with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This Thank you, Lyndon. Let's pray. Well, Lord, as we take a look at this text this morning, we are reminded that the sacred scriptures, our Bible, is your word. That you have spoken to us and you call us to hear, to receive, to cherish these words, to obey these words. I pray, Lord, that you would bless us as we make every effort to do this. And I ask for your Holy Spirit to help us because in our own strength, this is not possible. But by your Spirit, this is not only possible, but it is the power of life in us, which is Christ. Lord Jesus, I pray that in all that we do, that you would be glorified. Please help me this morning to preach your word in spite of me and my weaknesses and my sin. I pray that uh, by your grace you might take my feeble attempt to share your word and by your Holy Spirit implant it in our hearts. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
One thing that has become very clear to me uh, as we've gone through 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy is that we, and I, I say we broadly to include what I know of the church in Canada, okay? So we in the church in Canada really have too low a view of the local church, something I've been taking away from these books. Uh, I mean, the local church is the highest order of human institution and, and human gathering ever. You know, th- we are the temple of God. We are indwelt by Him, His Spirit, and uh, we are children of God, and and. God has decided to organize us according to local churches. And so I think that it's fair to say that we all probably, myself included, have too low a view of the local church. And then as I was preparing for uh, this message this morning, along the same lines, I, I think what I've come to see is that we, broadly, Canadians, Christians, the church, um, broadly, probably all of us have far too low a view of the preaching of the Word of God. This text just forces upon us what we are doing in this moment. You know, preaching is not speech making, preaching is not entertainment, it's diplomacy. Uh, preaching is when a diplomat from the sovereign of sovereigns addresses a group and says, this is what God says. Now, that's that's a big deal. And it's actually crazy to think that God would entrust such a task to someone like me. Or pick your pastor or your preacher. I mean... When someone stands up and opens the Bible and says, this is what the Word of God says, what is happening there is that God is speaking to us. And, and it's really strange to be here because God is speaking to me as I preach. And, and what I have wondered at this for a lot of years is how is this even possible? Like This just seems like a terrible plan. That God would entrust such a task to a broken man like me. I have every single struggle that you have. And there's no guarantee that any preacher is the most mature man in the room. And I don't make that claim about myself. And yet God says, this is my plan. This is my idea. I want you to do it. And I've been just struggling with this. It's too heavy. It's just too big a call to put on any man's shoulders, and I just, I buckle at it. Then God reminds me, well, this is the way it has to be, you see, because the gospel is all about grace. Like, this is an impossibility without the grace of God. God's grace on me, God's grace on you, my grace toward you, and your grace toward me. Otherwise, there's no preaching going on here. There's just noise and speech making and clever, well, I don't have clever stories or jokes, but some people are pretty good at that. Uh, 
Which is why in, in the preaching of the word, you cannot be fed a, a full diet from the radio or the internet because that personal interaction of grace is not there. See, when I, when I preach to you, my heart has to be open to God, transparently before you. And I have to say, God, I know myself, and you know me better than I know me. So please, again, when I stand up there with an open Bible, don't abandon me. Help me. So my heart has to be inclined toward God, and my heart has to be inclined toward you. And if you've sinned against me or hurt me or wronged me in any way, that will trip up the preaching. So I have to overflow with God's love and grace toward you. And there's a third part, you see. Your heart has to be inclined toward me. If your heart is not inclined toward me, you could sit here for the full hour and there will be no preaching for you. There will be a wall between you and the Word of God. You see, because that's how God has set it up. He, the Word comes from Him through His Bible, through the preacher to you. And if at any spot along the way there's a wall, you're not going to get the Word of God. And then lastly, your heart has to be inclined toward God. You see how much grace we need to preach? Now, Preaching the Word of God is impossible at the best of times. That's, that's when everything is good. That's when, oh, there's a great sense of unity in the church. It, it, it's when I, by God's grace and mercy toward me, didn't fall into too grievous a sin in the previous week. It's when there's, there's a good relationship between me and you. The, even still, it's a, it's a moment, it's a spiritual moment of grace to preach and to receive preaching. So what if I have fallen into sin? What if I stand up here hurt? You ever try to preach hurt? You ever try to preach uh, in the wake of sin? I'm not talking about sin that, you know, well, you got things to work on. I'm talking about, whoa, that was, that was bad. You know, I've had to do both. I've had to preach after a week of sin, and I have had to preach after a week of being hurt. And it's hard. All the more need for God's grace. And so today's text is, I mean, this is a bit, a bit longer intro than I had planned, but it's very personal. But I don't want you to miss that it ought to be very personal for you, too. Because preaching is not something that one member of the church does on a Sunday morning. Preaching is something that we do together. You have your role to play. I have my role to play. We all must be lavished by the grace of God. And it's the Holy Spirit who descends from on high and reveals His Word to me and to you, fills me and fills you, inclines our hearts toward one another, and then the Maker the Creator of all things and our Redeemer speaks. And if anything of what I just said doesn't happen, it's just speech-making. And you will leave unedified and you will leave not having heard a word of God. 
See, Timothy was preaching hurt. Nothing will hurt a pastor more than a divided church. Nothing hurts more. Well, maybe there is one thing from experience, a divided house. If my family is in conflict, that's worse. But apart from that, a divided church, a church in conflict, a church in strife, how do you preach? Because you've just heard what preaching is. Our hearts aren't inclined in the right ways, and we're blocking grace, and we're quenching the Spirit. And, And so how do you preach? Well, that's what this text is about, because that's the context. Paul says, look, you, you got to preach. Even when the church is just being held together by threads of grace. Let's take a look at Paul's recommendation to a church who is weary and burdened with their own sin and struggles. And I think that these principles apply in the worst of times, but even in the best of times. Because even in the best of times, as I said, preaching is impossible. It's a supernatural miracle each and every week. So the principles in context are for a church that is weary and in strife, but the principles hold even when the church is is, uh, doing well. The text today can be divided into three parts and so well really five but three main parts and you have sort of the the very beginning or the very beginning and the very end which go together as one part and then just right inside of those two parts you have another uh, two-part part or two-section part and then in the middle is the climax which is all about the main command and the instruction that we're going to look at so in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, that's at the beginning. And then you go to chapter 4, verses 6 and 8. Paul is trying to help Timothy in his preaching ministry by putting himself forward as an example. He says, look, just follow my example. And then right inside that, from 2 Timothy 3, verses 12 to 15, and 4, verses 3 to 5, Paul recognizes to Timothy that there's a struggle in the Christian life. There's a struggle in the life of the church. So you cannot expect, Timothy, that every time you stand up in the pulpit to deliver the word of God, that everything is going to be good in your church or that everything is going to be good in your own life. So let's just acknowledge the truth and get to the point which is the middle part, which runs from... Chapter 3.16 to 4.2, and Paul says this is the central call of the church. We'll see why we believe this is central. This is the central call of the church. No matter what you're going through, whether you're preaching in, in the wake of sin or whether you're preaching hurt, you got to preach. Preaching is the central call of the church. That's not to say that the other things are not as important. Central doesn't mean more important. It just means without preaching, there's no center to the church. So everything the church does, all these instructions are important. I don't want to begin to rank them. But central to the life of the church is the preaching of the word. 
Let's take a look at these three sections. So the first section, Paul puts himself forward as an example to be emulated. He, he says, look, follow me. Do what I do. Imitate me. Take another look there at uh, chapter 3, verses 10 to 12 to begin, or 10 to 11, sorry. You, Timothy, you followed my teaching. My conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me. When I was at Antioch at, and Iconium and Lystra, Oh, you know the persecutions that I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Paul says to Timothy, if you're going to do what God has called you to do, if you're going to stand up and publicly read Scripture and exhort and encourage and rebuke, just look at my example. My life wasn't easy. I wasn't always in a good place. I preached hurt. I preached in, in places where they were persecuting me. I preached in, in places where I suffered deeply at the hands of Jews and Gentiles and even Christians. So follow my example. Follow my teaching. What did I say when I stood up? Did I, did I rail against my personal issues? No, I, I taught the truth. I gave them right doctrine. I told them what that doctrine should translate into their life. How they ought to live their life. You watched my conduct. You, you saw my personal behavior. I was going through all of these things. Be like me, Timothy. Seek after Christ. Uh, just focus so hard on the Lord Jesus Christ that everything else, though it's still there, it just drowns out into the background. You saw my aim in life. My aim in life was not to defend myself, but to glorify Christ. Plant churches to correct wrong thinking and wrong living. My, my aim was not about me. It wasn't even primarily about the church. It was about the Lord. Make Him your goal. You saw my faith. Faith is like a shield that will stop the fiery darts of the enemy. Faith. You saw my patience. There were people that drove me crazy. But you saw I endured. I was patient. I was like a mother at times and a father at times. You saw my love. I didn't come with a, a money-making scheme. I wasn't trying to be powerful. I wasn't trying to be popular. I wasn't trying to be rich. Everything I did was fueled by love for God and love for people. You saw my steadfastness. This is not a sprint. This is a marathon. And in marathons, you need second wins and third wins. You need to just keep going one foot in front of the other. And you saw my persecutions and sufferings. You know what happened to me. I was, I mean, in other places, I was stoned and they thought I was dead. 
And I picked myself up and I went to the next town and I preached the word. I was rejected by my friends, fellow Pharisees and Jews. I was rejected by governors and kings. I, was, I received uh, the 40 lashes minus one many times. You know how I suffered. But I endured them all. How did I endure all of this? Well, the Lord rescued me. And, and what does Paul mean there when he says the Lord rescued me? He refreshed my soul. I, I, I don't believe that this is about victory from circumstance. He rescued him in his disposition, in his confidence, in, in his love, in his endurance. And, and the Lord gave me the grace every day to keep preaching. That's how the Lord rescued him. And we know that because right now he's sitting in prison not thinking that he's going to get out alive. And we know he doesn't. Go down to chapter 4, verse 6. We see on the, so that was how he opens this passage, and th this is how he ends. He, he continues to say, follow my example. Imitate me. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, Paul says. And that's a graphic image, a drink offering you pour it out in front of the altar as an offering to God. And, and Paul, this is graphic, but he was about to be beheaded. Maybe the Lord had revealed that to him. He knew he was going to be executed. And he was, in some ways, quite literally poured out onto the ground as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. But, I put the but in there contextually. It's not, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul says, you've got to keep going, Timothy. I know it's hard in Ephesus. Ministry is not easy. Preaching the word of God is impossible. But you've got to do it. Keep going. I am about to die I fought the good fight. And then we remember that Paul had said to Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith in 1 Timothy 6. How wonderful it would be for us to get to the end of our lives and to say, I fought the good fight every day. I didn't back down. I didn't stop. I fought the good fight of the faith. So Paul's saying, I did it. And I want you to be able to say that too. I have finished the race I used to run 400-meter uh, races, and it's a sprint, but it's a long sprint. And I'd get around that third bend, and I would want to just collapse how great it was when I finally finished the race. You know, racing, if you're competing for gold, will hurt. It's a test of strength. It's a test of endurance. It, and oftentimes, if you've ever been in a race, whether in the pool or on the track or over country, uh, it's a test of character. Can you dig deeper to make it, to finish? You know, so finishing really is the first victory of racing. Paul says, I finished. So if, if your race isn't challenging you in those ways, maybe you're not even hardly racing. Like, who wants to hear the gun go off and watch somebody 
speed walk around the track. Well, it's easier that way. Yeah, but if you're going to run the race, run it. And it's going to be hard. But you'll finish. And when you finish, verse 8, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Oh, should we not long for that crown? Why, well, I, I know the book of Revelation. We throw them down before the throne of Christ Jesus. Oh, but there's a sweet moment right before that as we come before our God and, and we look to Him and I'm sure with some fear and trepidation and He puts the crown of righteousness on our heads. He says, well done. But you've got to run. You've got to finish. Paul says, do that. Imitate me. I know it's hard. Implicitly then, in, in both this one section which begins and ends our preaching text, simple, just keep going. Look to my example. One day it will all be over. So leave it all out on the field. Don't have regrets. When each of us, and this is directly about preaching, but the principle applies for every one of our lives. At the end of our life, do you want to have regrets about not having run? You only walked. You, you shrunk back from the challenge. You retreated from the conflict. Or at the end of your days, when, when you're lying in your bed, God willing, and you know that the moments are few, do you want to say, wow, I, I couldn't have done more. I couldn't have done more. I didn't do it perfectly. I fell and scraped my knees, but oh, did I run. And that's what Paul's saying. And in the context, it's about preaching. And so this, this binds me up just as I, I hope it binds you up to, for your part in the preaching. You know, let, let's take it to preaching and take it beyond the preacher. At the end of your days, and you meet the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and he says, how did you do in your preaching? And you say to him, well, I never preached. He says, oh, yes, but how did you do in your preaching? How did you receive the preaching of my word? Did you open yourself up to the preaching of God's Word? Or did you, let, did you let the weaknesses of the pastor and the preacher get in the way of you hearing from your God? Did you dig deep and, and say, you know what, there's nothing more important in my week than to be at church on Sunday morning so that I can hear from God? Is this the high point of your week? Or is it something that you fit into your week? This is when God speaks. If God said to you, I have an audience, I would like to talk to you at this time, would you be there? That's what this is. So at the end of your days, whether you ever stand in a pulpit, how was your preaching? Was your heart inclined to God? Was your heart inclined to the preacher, me or anyone else? Did you come to hear from God? Did you bathe yourself and the preacher in grace? Second section. 
even while Paul puts himself forward as an example, Paul recognizes the struggle of the Christian life. It's a struggle. Take a look at chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Indeed, or it is true, or take this to the bank. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Let's just pause there for a moment. This, this, I mean, reflect on myself. I wonder how much am I persecuted? He doesn't say, you know, some Christians in some times, in some cultures, will be persecuted if they say my life, is the most important thing in my life is to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. No, he says anyone who makes their life all about living a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Are you being persecuted? If you're not being persecuted, you may not be trying to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. And at the same time, evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. The context here is not evil people outside of the church. Evil people in the church. That's why they're called imposters, posers, so-called Christians. Not my words, this is what this is. People who name themselves by the name of Christ, but they're evil people posing as imposters. And they're going to go from bad to worse. They're going to deceive others, and they're going to be deceived themselves. This is, this is the scariest part, maybe, of the whole preaching text this morning. That, that evil people and imposters in the church are first and foremost often self-deceived. So that they think that they're fine. They're going to meet the Lord Jesus, and they're going to get the crown of righteousness, and they'll be ushered into eternal life and what what paul says look you got to know that in the church there will be people who are not saved they think they're saved but they're not saved and they're going to go around deceiving other people which is when we're driving to the point of preaching which is why preaching is central to the life of the church this is the most authoritative moment in the life of the church there's other authoritative moments in the life of the church, but this is the most authoritative. How do you know if you are self-deceived? How well are you lining up with the preaching? If you are continually bucking against the preaching, either you need to get a new preacher or you are deceived. It's only one of the two. Now, I'm not going to preach perfectly. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to make verbal mistakes. I'm going to make theological mistakes. May it never be that it's a serious mistake. And there's, there's, a, there's a system of checks and balances. First and foremost, uh, the elders who are listening to my sermons who will address any error or heresy or blasphemy. And if you feel that you hear error or heresy, or blasphemy, you go to them. But this is frightening, right? How do you know? If you're an imposter, an evil person, who is deceived and deceiving others. Preaching.
But as for you, verse 14, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. Now this, I don't know that this would be self-evident the way I'm about to interpret this, but from uh, a decade of, of preaching, I feel I, I understand this in a deeper way. Do you know there are times where, especially in seasons of conflict in the church, self-doubt creeps in to the preacher. I go home on Sunday afternoon and I, I am tormented by memories of the sermon. Did I get that right? Was my tone okay? Was I too harsh? Was I not challenging enough? Was my application actually rooted in the Scriptures? Was I wrong? And, and so Paul here says, look, as for you, just draw close to the Word and let that be your assurance. Look, this is what you've learned since you grew up. Let that be your assurance. Remember who taught it to you. And he's thinking about his mother and his grandmother and Paul. You're not alone. Uh, the things that you've said are in correspondence with what your mom has told you, what your grandma has told you, what I have instructed you. And you have been made wise for salvation because you, Timothy, and I've affirmed it by laying hands on you, have affirmed that you love the Word of God. And you may not get it always right, and you go back to 1 Timothy, always work on your, on your preaching so that people may see your progress, but you love the Word of God, and you are willing to, to die for the Word of God, so be assured. That's what that's all about. As for you, there's evil people and imposters. That's not you, Timothy. Now may it be that every pastor, though, wonders if he is an evil person, an imposter who is self-deceived and deceiving others. If the pastor, the preacher, never wonders that about himself, he's a dangerous man. I do worry about that, about myself. And I've talked to other preachers who say, you know, one of my prayers is one of my uh, closest pastor friends, I won't name him, but he has said this to me, you know, sometimes I just pray, because we've talked about this this nagging problem as a preacher trying to do the impossible, sharing the Word of God. He says, you know, sometimes I just pray, Lord, even if I'm not saved, through my words would you save the people that are listening? Now that's a preacher that you can sit under. Even if I'm not saved, protect the people from me. That's my heartbeat for you. Go down then to verse, or chapter 4, verse 3. More struggle and difficulty in the life of Christian. Time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. You know, when the church is not receiving the preaching, as a preacher, you're, what, what's wrong? Is it me, Lord? Why, why are so many people up in arms about what I said? Well, Paul says, the time is coming, and it's now here, when 
this is going to be a reality. People don't want to know what God says. You know, God can be harsh and severe. God can also be gentle and kind. He's a God of judgment and wrath and a God of grace and salvation. And, and if you're going to rightly divide the word of truth, if you're going to preach the whole counsel of God, not everybody's going to like it every week. Especially if they have a low view of preaching. Especially if they have a low view of the word of God and if they have a low view of the local church. Well, you can't please them. And they're going to find somebody who says what they want to hear. I can't promise you that I'm ever going to tell you what you want to hear. It's not my job. That's not what I've been called to do. I'm to die to myself and to die to you uh, before God when I preach and God willing, by some act of grace and a supernatural miracle, God will speak to you even through me. Well, I shouldn't be surprised then, though, if there are some who don't want to hear what I have to say. People will wander off into myths. They don't want the God of the Bible. They don't want the truth of the Bible. Did you notice how in both of those there was that movement, as for you in the first part and as for you? Well, which I'll get right to right here. I guess I haven't got to there yet. Verse 5, as for you. So some people will wander away. They don't want to hear what you have to say, but as for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Be sober-minded. Don't get emotional. Don't allow the resistance, the opposition, the challenges, the people who, who are not on board, don't allow that to cloud you emotionally. Be sober-minded. Be clear-thinking, rationally, not emotionally unstable. You cannot preach from a place of emotional instability. You ought to preach with emotion, but that emotion has to be grounded in a rational stability. It's really hard some weeks. Be ready to endure suffering. It's going to be tough to preach. So be ready. Be ready to do the work of an evangelist. In the context, I see only one meaning for this. Evangelize the men, women, youth, and children in the church. Because not everybody's saved. Don't back off the word of God. Because if you do, you might please them for their lifetime, but then they'll meet the Lord Jesus and be rejected. Do the work of an evangelist when you preach the word because you never know who's not saved and who needs to hear that word that day. I don't think this is about evangelism outside of the church at all. And so my, my frontline evangelism efforts is to you. And then he says, fulfill your ministry. Fill it up. It was the same thing that we said before. Finish the race. Do it. Finish. No matter what. This brings us to the central exhortation of the section of which all of these outer flanks are, are pointing to, which is 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 4, verse 2. All Scripture 
is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing, and by his kingdom, that's quite a lead up. Here's the charge. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. I mean, these are cherished verses, right? All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. If we want to be biblical Christians, if we want to be Christians that are pleasing to God, the Bible's our curriculum. It's the Bible, which is why if you want to measure the preaching any given week, the measure of the preaching is how closely was it aligned to the Word of God. In anything that a preacher says, any distraction from the Word is not actually that helpful, though it might be entertaining. So did the words of the pastor help to bring into sharper focus the words of God? That's the only measurement of evaluation that matters. At the end of today, will you understand this preaching text better? If yes, then the preaching, by God's grace, has had its proper effect. If no, either there's a problem on your side or on my side. That's that's what this is all about. All Scripture... Paul doesn't say there, look, Timothy, you're a pretty wise guy. I know you. I I think that you've, you've got a lot of smart ideas. I think you're pretty witty. I think you're funny. I think you're likable. No, he doesn't say any of that. Look, all Scripture is breathed out by God. So just draw close to the Word of God, Timothy, and you'll see that your efforts at preaching will be profitable. It'll be profitable for teaching and rebuking and reproving and so on. We are, the, the Reformation said that we are, we believe that the Bible alone is our highest authority for all matters of faith and practice. You, that, you can summarize that, we call that sola scriptura. At South Shore Church, then, we believe that the Bible is inspired by God. That's what it says. It's breathed out by God. It's infallible. There's no errors in the Bible. So if you, if you come up to an apparent contradiction or an error, then you're just not understanding it. Um, it's supreme. It's the highest authority, which means may it never, ever be said... I, I know that the Bible says this, but I'm more comfortable with that. No. What does the Bible say? That is what we will endeavor to be and to do. Especially when it makes us uncomfortable. Not even when, especially 
when it makes us uncomfortable. That's what we're going to do because this is breathed out by God. It's supreme. It's sufficient. It's all we need. We don't need any other self-help books or you know, motivational speaking. All we need is the Word of God. It'll tell us every, everything we need. It's profitable for teaching. It's going to instruct us in the truth. It's profitable for reproof. Reproof means that the Word of God will point out error in both the things we believe and the things that we do. That's not comfortable. If you get through a calendar year without ever being reproved by the preaching of the Word of God, there's a problem. I am reproved by the Word of God every week. So when reproof comes, and you say, well, that's kind of uncomfortable, not what I was looking for. Well, what are you looking for? Speech making? Not preaching. For correction. So if reproof is the negative, pointing out the error, correction is, don't do this, reproof, do this. That's correction. It, it says, this is the right way to go. We're going to go that way together. And for training in righteousness, the Word of God is the, the means through which the Holy Spirit, by the grace and power of God, progressively sanctifies us to be more like Jesus. So if the Bible is over here and we're, you're over there, you will become more like the world and less like Christ, even if you call yourself a Christian, even if you're saved. Training in righteousness happens by the Word of God. It's when you put yourself under the authority of the Word of God. When you put yourself under the authority of the preaching of the Word of God, then you'll be training in righteousness. And I'm not a bodybuilder, as you can see, but if I was, I would tell you that when you are training your body, there is a certain amount of pain. Don't want to take no pain, no gain too far, but there's a certain amount of pain if you want to build muscle. Same with righteousness. But the Word of God is effective, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so now we come to the instruction in this central section, and this is really our conclusion. Verses 1 and 2. Notice the way that Paul prefaces this instruction. There's no other instruction in all 20 three instructions that we're going to look at in First and Second Timothy that is prefaced so strongly. That's why this is the central instruction of the church. The central call of the church. I charge you in the presence of God. This is what God wants you to know, Timothy, and this is Ephesian church, Adam, Soshore. God's watching and in the presence of Christ Jesus, the one who purchased you and by whom grace is made available so that the impossibility of preaching may actually happen. And in case you forgot, Jesus is the one who's going to judge the living and the dead. So, how did you do in your preaching? Whether you're the preacher or the one receiving the preaching, at the end it's going to be judged. 
and by His appearing. One day you have to stand before Christ, and so do I. Which is why I preach the way I do. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's harsh. If the text is. Because one day I know I have to stand before Jesus, and at the end of the day, the way any person felt about my preaching will just totally fade away. And all I will want to know is, how did I do? How did I do, King Jesus? He's going to appear. And I have to answer to him. And then, and his kingdom. This is a bit subtle. But remember the crown of righteousness that is coming at the end of this passage. Eternity, eternal life, the new heavens and new earth is structured hierarchically. And there is a judgment of works. Now, there's also a judgment of grace, right? So the great exchange, he takes our sin, he gives us his righteousness. That's our entrance to the kingdom. But then after that, there's a judgment of works. And that judgment of works is not an entrance exam, but it's a placement exam. Where are you going to be placed in the kingdom? And so his kingdom is coming. I want you to remember that, Timothy, so that you do everything that you can do for that time of judgment so that you'll be well-placed in the kingdom. Now, I wouldn't mind being a door holder in the house of the Lord. You know, make, me, make me a custodian, God. I don't mind. Whatever you want me to do in your kingdom, I will do. But... Jesus himself exhorts us continually to store up our riches in heaven, to to seek greatness in heaven, in heavenly things. And in the same way, Paul here is saying, run the race now so that you can be great not now, but in heaven, which is all grace anyway. It's, It's grace from beginning to end. But it's good and right to want to have lived well for Christ. Okay, so now we get to the actual instruction, which we all know what it is. Preach the word. Don't preach your own ideas. Don't preach other books. Don't preach funny stories and anecdotes. Don't preach jokes. Don't preach your opinion. Don't now, when I say opinion, I'm not talking, I, of course I have to have an interpretation. I'm talking about, yeah, that's my preference, that's my opinion. That, no. Come to your best understanding of the text and then preach that. Preach the word. In season and out of season. What does this mean? Well, I think it has two meanings, maybe more, but let's start with the preacher. Sometimes I'm in season and sometimes I am out of season. And if you walk with me long enough, you'll be like, oh man, you're out of season. <laughs> Go on a holiday or something. Uh, But week by week, this is true, but then longer seasons. There's seasons where, oh man, God is just right there. And there's other seasons where, like you, I just, where is God? I gotta preach whether I'm in season or out of season. And it's the grace of God that carries me through those times when I'm out of season. Whether it just be a distancing, whether it be a conflict that I'm wrestling through, whether it be a sin issue, whether it be... um, 
conflict in my home. It doesn't matter. There's so many different ways I could be out of season. But I still got to preach, unless I disqualify myself, at which time I got to be shelved. But, but if I haven't disqualified myself, and I'm just out of season, I still got to preach. And then there's times where I'm in season. Oh, that, that's sweet. Just dynamic. And I feel, oh, God is, I can feel him just pouring his grace into me. I've preached in both in season and out of season, even at South Shore already. But the church is in season and out of season too. A- and the preacher has to get up and preach to a church that's in season and out of season. I don't know if you were here last summer, but we like filled one row. It's discouraging, by the way. It's discouraging to come to church to preach to nobody. Well, I shouldn't say nobody. We had one row. But, but it's discouraging. There's a ministry of presence. Now go on holidays. Go away. I like to holiday too. I need to go away from you just as you need to go away from me. But the church goes in season and out of season. Uh, the simplest out of season is just people are gone. But then there's times where we're warring against one another. There's conflict. You still got to preach. Paul doesn't say preach when it feels good and when the church wants to hear it. No, in season and out of season. I don't know, any of you know who Cool in the Gang is? Yeah, one, okay. Celebrate. You know that song? I just imagine, like, that they were a kind of a one-hit wonder, I think, on that. Imagine, like, they are just having the worst week, and they, well, you know, we sold tickets. So they're out there dancing around to celebrate, and, like, they just are so mad at each other, and they're just hating life, but they're celebrating. They, they have to perform in season and out of season, pretty trivial example but it's I can relate to it <laughs> oh and now the hard part and then then we're done so you're ready for the hard part what is preaching what is preaching reprove we've talked about this already but what is reproof uh, reproof is pointing out error in belief in practice. Rebuke. Rebuking is extremely hard. It's to use the word of God to express strong disapproval. It's just awful to rebuke and to receive a rebuke. But it's necessary exhort. So if reproving and rebuking are, we could call them negative, you know, pointing out error and belief in practice and expressing strong disapproval by the word of God in somebody's beliefs or somebody's practice, then there's a positive, exhort. Use the word of God to encourage and to motivate people to action. And then Paul says, do this with complete patience and teaching. Preaching is never geared toward immediate transformation. It always has the long view in mind. And, and, and that should be true for the preacher, but also for the church. You've got to sit under preaching for long stretches of time. You need to submit yourself to it for long stretches of time. And the preacher needs to just keep doing it for long stretches of time. Be patient. Teach over and over and over again, go over the same concepts again and again and again, and then you will see in its season fruitfulness.
I hope and I pray that God will let us journey together for decades to come. And I hope that we might look back on this day, decades from now, and say, wow, we preached the word together, didn't we? There was some reproof, there was some rebuke, there was encouragement along the way. But look at the harvest of righteousness and fruitfulness that God has blessed us with by his mercy and his grace. So I end how I started. Preaching is an impossible task. I am not up for the challenge. But by God's mercy and grace, this is his idea, not mine, right? I would never come up with this idea. Why not just open the heavens and preach directly? This is the way he has structured the church. He's going to pick a sinful man struggling with his own weaknesses and issues And through that man, he's going to speak. May our preaching never become speech-making, but preaching the Word of God for His glory and for the building up of the church. Let's pray. Oh God, Help us in our preaching. We, like Paul and Timothy, want to finish the race. We want to fight the good fight together. I pray that you would bless us with uh, endurance for this race, that you would produce in us a harvest of righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen.